God, we love you this morning. God, we're thankful that we can be a part of a body. And God, I believe this morning on Palm Sunday, the word in which you've implanted in my heart, God, I believe it's for such a time as this. I pray this morning, God, we would have ears to hear your your word speaking, not Pastor Jared, not, not what I want to share. Father, let it be your word piercing our hearts. God, open our minds this morning. And God, let us receive from you. Let us leave here not saying what a good word or, or, or what a, you know, whatever naturally we want to say. Let us leave here and say, wow, God truly spoke to me this morning. And that's my heart, Father. And we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen and amen. All right, you ready to hear what we're going to preach on this morning? All right, here we go. Luke, Luke, can you put it up for me? All right, we are going to be talking about the sin of what? Presumption. Someone say the sin of presumption. I told you it's going to be an odd message, but I promise you, you're going to love it. I promise you. The Lord's been dealing with me on this message. Psalms 19, verse 13. You got your Bibles with me this morning? Let's dive in. This is David. David wrote this psalm, Psalms 19. Hey, Psalms 19 is a beautiful, beautiful chapter. I love the whole, um, whole chapter of Psalms 19. But I want you to catch this this morning. I really believe God wants to show us something new about the, the, the Palm Sunday story that we see. And I'm going to read it, but I'm, I want to set your eyes in a different level this morning that as we read it, you'll see something that you have not seen before. Psalms 19, starting in verse, thing, verse 13, it says this. This is David writing. He says, keep back your servant also, someone say also, from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, someone say blameless, and shall be innocent of great transgressions. Now, if you have a different version, it may say keep back your servant from obvious sins or or premeditated sins. There's a bunch of different things. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's why. As I studied this verse this week, really it was the only word, not that just had that word in it, Really, I want you to understand what David's saying, because we're going we're gonna to go somewhere this morning, so I want you to catch David's heart. David is saying, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, sins that not so much even just seem obvious, sins that I get in the way of my own self. You with me? You follow me this morning? Sins where I don't even realize I'm, I'm slipping, I'm literally in my own way. And I'm falling away from you. So David said, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have what? Dominion over me. What's dominion? Dominance. Don't let them, don't let them become this overriding thing. That where I know I'm in a war of, of the flesh and the spirit, don't let them dominate. Don't not let these presumptuous sins, these sins that can easily just creep in. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Amen? Amen. So the great transgression of Psalms 19.13 is, watch this, disobedience, but disobedience in, in, in the name of saying, maybe the Lord will be with me. Disobedience and maybe, you know, you're, you're like, I know what God wants from me, but I got my thing I want to do. Presumptuous sins. And, and even one scholar was saying, as I was reading this week, presumptuous sins can even go further of deliberately going away from the Lord and saying, but God will be with me. How many guys know that's a crazy thought, isn't it? To like do something on your own self-strength and think that the Lord will bless you and you doing it your way. You follow me this morning. 
I want to set this up this morning because we're going to read through a famous passage of scripture that most people read. And I want to help you see something that you have not seen before. Webster's Dictionary defines, this, defines presumption as this. Marked by headstrong confidence. Anyone ever had headstrong confidence before? I know I have before, right? If you're married, sometimes you have that more often, right? Anyone? All right, you, you're married and you got that headstrong confidence. I know I'm right. Don't tell, right? Sometimes, I, you know, like, I'll be like, but my wife, I'll tell you I'm right, right? And then it's like, oh, I'm actually wrong. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? It's like the headstrong confidence. Be careful. It is unreasonable venturing to undertake something without the probability of safety. How many guys know the Lord wants to keep you within his parameters because he has something beautiful, each one of us? You with me? There's something beautiful God desires for you and your family. There's something beautiful God desires for each one of us. But here's the thing. God sets a way before us. But here's the question. You and I, are we willing to walk in that way? You with me? Walking in that way is where we partner with God. God says, I'm setting a clear path before you. But will you say, that looks cool, God, but I, I like it over here. And we'll say, but God will bless me in my venture over here. No, God's saying this. I desire a heart that will not just do its own thing, but that will work with me. Someone say, with God. God doesn't want you to be presumptuous in what you do. He wants you to follow him and act according to which the boundaries he set before you. You know, what's interesting is, as I was studying this week, is, um, you know, when I became a minister, or ordained minister, um, I had an interview with a couple pastors, and one of the scriptures they read was Titus 1.7. And it's the boundary of an elder or a leader, or even, in, that, in my case, a pastor of qualifications. And it's interesting because even in Titus 1.7, when I was reading it this week, it says this, a church leader is a manager of God's house. Someone say God's house. Notice it doesn't say the church leader is a manager of his house. It's God's house. The church isn't the pastor's house. It's God's house, okay? So he must live blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Now, another version says he must not be self-willed. I studied that out this week, and you know it literally parallels with the same presumptuous word used in Psalms 19. Literally, this, this, this Titus, as he's writing, this, this leader, this pastor, whoever he is in church, he must not be in, in this self-willed place where he thinks he can do things and God will bless it. You with me? Sometimes we try to do that. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm laying a foundation this morning. We got to be careful that we don't presumptuously just do things thinking, well, God will, God will bless this. God, 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 God knows my heart. You ever heard someone say that before? Well, God knows my heart. Yes, but God also has a heart of his own. And he wants you to have his heart. You with me? He wants you to have his heart. Look what Deuteronomy says this. Deuteronomy 17, 12 through 13. This is the Old Testament. Watch this. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands the minister there before the Lord. So literally this person is in, is in rebellion of the priest in which God established or judge them. If he will not act, then we will judge the man and he will die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. And watch what verse 13 says, And all the people shall hear and fear and no, no longer act presumptuously. So what is this? It's this self-willed confidence thinking that I love God and I come to church on Sundays and I worship God. But here's the thing. Is it just outward worship or is it true inward affection? You with me? And this one I want to help you understand this morning. 
God desires, someone say all of me. He desires all of me. He desires all of you. He does not want you saying, well, maybe the Lord will be with me. God says, I know what I've designed for you. I know what I've designed for your family. I want you to live within the boundaries I've set because I have something amazing I want to do in your life. But you got to be careful that you don't venture in your own strength to do things. You with me? Just say presumptuously, ah, because what did David, David acted presumptuously a couple of times, right? The story of, if you read um, the history of David's life, there was a couple times he took a census of all the people and he said, God will be with us. I want to count how many people are in my kingdom. But you know what happened? Someone say what happened. He did it with a selfish heart because here's what happened. A prophet called out David and said this, David, just because you took a census, there's nothing wrong with counting the kingdom. But here's what the prophet said. He said, you did it because you wanted to puff up yourself. Someone say yourself. And he said, because you did that, watch this. God said through the prophet, because you did this, I'm going to strike the nation with a plague. He actually gave David a couple options. He said, what one do you want? And, um, and here's what's crazy. Sometimes we can act presumptuously in our walk with Christ. We can venture in our own way. And not even know it. Someone say, Lord, help me. I know about you. As I was studying and preparing, I was saying that many times, Lord, do never let me find myself as David was praying. Lord, don't let me act in presumptuous ways. Because what David was saying is when I get presumptuous, it becomes sin because it starts pulling me away from God. I start boosting myself up. I become prideful. I become arrogant. I become the chief person. You with me? God wants to be the chief person in your life. But when you puff yourself up and say, I I can do this thing, be careful. Someone say, be careful. All right. That's the foundation this morning. Now let's dive into the meat. You ready? Matthew 21, verse 1 through 17. All right. Here's our Palm Sunday scripture. 17 verses. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage. On the mountain of olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Verse 2. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. I preached that last year if you were here about there was actually two donkeys in the story. There was the colt and then there was the donkey. So the colt would have been the offspring of the mother. And um, it's a long story short. You can go back and re-listen to that. Um, So untie them and bring them to me. So Jesus said, you'll see a colt and you'll see the the donkey. Bring them to me. Verse 3. If anyone asked you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. Another gospel actually gives the encounter that the disciples went up and were untying the donkeys. And while they were untying the donkeys, the owner came out and said, what are you doing with my donkeys? Like they were stealing the donkeys. And this is what the disciples said. The Lord said he needs them. And he said, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you read the Bible that way, but think about that. Like God said, you're going to find two, two donkeys tied up. Bring them to me. Well, what if the owner like says you're stealing them? Jesus said, just tell them the Lord needs them. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus just has a way of doing things. And so they went, they found the donkeys. And verse four says this, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on the donkey. Notice the word. He is humble. Notice the word there, humble. This is Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He owns everything. You with me? He has every right. To puff up himself and say, 
You know what I'm saying? Coming in Jerusalem, he has every right to say, you all better respect me. You all better get in line. Didn't I heal you and, and cleanse diseases? Didn't I? You know what I'm saying? I'm about to save this. Boom. I knew they were going to die at some point. I was hoping not today, which they ended up dying. Um, we use this wireless mic for like 60 million things during the week. And I try to make batteries last because we go through batteries like crazy around there. We're like a battery recycling church. Um, but anyway, back on topic. Um, so Jesus had every right to be like, I'm the Savior. Come bow. But what did he come riding? On a, on a colt. And the Bible makes it clear he is humble riding on a donkey. You know, back in the Roman days, which Jesus was living right in that area, area of, of the Romans would ride very stout horses. And they would use these horses in a way of showing their dominance over people. Many scholars believe if you were a Jewish person, you could not even get some sort of animal like the Romans owned because they wanted to dominate you. You with me? When they would invade a territory, the Romans would completely take it over and they would, get, they would take every ounce of you feeling like you were a victor and you understood, hey, you're, you're, you're a captor. You, you, we captured you. Now we're in charge. So Jesus had every right to kind of come in with this like bold, prestigious, like, look at me. But he didn't. He came riding on the colt. He humbled himself. Riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 6. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him. And they threw a garment over the colt. And he sat on it. Verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting. Now, this is what we were doing this morning, singing songs of this. Praise God for the Son of David. Blessing are the ones, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest of heaven. Other versions say they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna are you. So they're acknowledging Jesus. You with me? They're acknowledging Jesus as the Savior, as Hosanna. Blessed are you that comes in the name of our Lord. Hosanna, praise God in the highest. So there's acknowledgement going forth, okay? But let's keep reading. Watch this. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now watch verse 12. Jesus entered the temple. So Jesus just came in with a massive procession, people putting palm branches down, and, and, and Hosanna, blessed is the king, blessed is this one who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They're giving adoration, affection towards Jesus. And as Jesus goes into the middle of the town, Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, Scripture declares, my temple will be called a house of prayer. Someone say house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. I want to stop there for a moment. So Palm Sunday sets the stage of Jesus' ministry was 
all over, you know, all over the place. And if you if you got a Bible, you can look. Um, some maps will show you kind of Jesus's, um, you know, years of ministry of traveling. And he would travel different areas and different places. And some he would stay for a while. Some he would only stay overnight, maybe a couple of days. But this is Jesus's final triumphant entry into Jerusalem because a week later he would be crucified for our sins. And that's in, in Easter Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So Jesus, understanding the, the, the mission, understanding the cost of his life, he's about to give up. The people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is God. So they're acknowledging that, you know, at this point, he is God. They're acknowledging it with their mouth. Then Jesus gets into the middle of the temple. And what does he do? He sees the place that was meant to become worship to him, house of prayer, he said. He said, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. You know, I started off earlier talking about David said, Lord, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Keep back your servant from becoming headstrong, knowing I, I. And it's almost like what had happened was the nation of Israel, they understood the prophecies that God would send a Savior and he would redeem the people. But in them waiting for that, they became self-willed and said, well, we'll just have to figure this out ourselves. You with me? Instead of them understanding, hey, God's word is perfect and true. Every promise he says will come true. They said, ah, that's a, that's a great word, but we'll try to figure it out ourselves. So people were in the temple. They're selling stuff. They're trying to make a profit. They're, they're, ta- they're turning what was meant to be a place where people would sacrifice for the sins. And Jesus is about to break that cycle. One week later, he's going to break all that. Well, in the process of that, Jesus says, but you made this house become something it was never meant to be. You know what? You got to be careful in your own walk with the Lord, whether you're serving God or maybe you're far from God right now and the Lord wants to help you. You have to be careful that you don't get in your own way. You with me? You have to be careful. See, the greatest thing when I was reading this, this story is that the people actually would get in their own way. Like Jesus was trying to reveal himself to them. He would do miracles. He would perform signs and wonders. He would preach. And uh, we talked a little while ago about um, the Sermon on the Mount right last week about this, this beautiful message Jesus prepared. He was trying to get people to understand the kingdom of God. But people the whole time were, were, were very inward focused of thinking, but, but Jesus, what's in it for me? Like, like, what can I get out of it? You know, there was a time where Jesus healed leopards. You know, leprosy was... Um, like you were an outcast if you had leprosy in the Old Testament. You would, you'd have to be in a camp, concealed. You weren't, allowed, you weren't allowed around people. I mean, it was a horrible thing if you got leprosy. And Jesus came across leopards. And you know what he did? He healed all of them. Someone say all of them. He healed all of them. And he said, now go to the temple and let them perform the sacrifice in which you're made clean. And you know what happened? Someone say what happened. I'm glad you asked. Only one of them came back. And not just thanked him. If you read deeper into that, they're literally like acknowledging. Like, I just didn't come here for a miracle to say thank you for healing. It's literally like this acknowledgement. Like, you are who you say you are. You with me? You are the Messiah. Because many of us, we enjoy when God does stuff for us. I do. I'm sure you do. When we pray and God answers our prayers. And we enjoy that aspect of God coming through. But do you love God just because he is God of your life? You with me? Do you love God because he's king of kings and there's none beside him? Or do you love him because he can do things for you? See, a lot of the crowd, I would maybe even be so daring to say they got a little presumptuous. They presumed they, they, presumed they knew what they needed. They were captives to the Romans. 
So they thought Jesus was going to make this triumphant entry. He was going to set them free from oppression. And they were going to be a free people at last. But Jesus said, you are trapped. Not outwardly, but inwardly. Someone say inwardly. You and I have to be careful that we do not begin to act presumptuously where we say, you know what? God, I, I want it done this way. You have to come through with me this way or this is how I want it. You have to be careful that you don't get in your own way. You have to say, Lord, help my heart stay clear from me and my desires. And th- what was the song we were singing earlier? Lord, break my heart for what? What breaks yours? What breaks yours? Now, I want you to catch this. Verse 14. So Jesus just cleared out the house, the whole temple. He says, you've made this place into a den of thieves. You've turned this thing into what it was not meant to be. So Jesus just rearranges the whole temple. I'm sure people are really mad because some of them had businesses. of They were trying to sell doves and sell sacrifices to people so that they didn't have to bring their own sacrifice. And Jesus said, no, I'm driving you all out. But watch what verse 14 says. It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what did he do? He healed them. How amazing is it when Jesus just cleared this out? He sets up and said, this is supposed to be a place of prayer, a place where my presence is welcome. And what happens when it becomes that? Then he begins to do what he can do. You with me? People begin. He said, people came to him and he healed them. He healed them. Verse 15, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, they saw the wonderful miracle. So they're eyewitnesses of what Jesus is doing now. Just a few moments ago, they, they, they turned this temple into a marketplace. They were selling and, and doing all these things, trying to, you know, make a profit. Jesus just clears them all out. And this whole time, imagine like, you know, just clearing something out. And then Jesus says, this place is meant to be a house of prayer. And the next thing you know, all the people in need start coming into the building. And he starts healing them, maybe of leprosy, maybe of blindness, maybe of sickness. Who knows? But when the place became what it was meant to be, God was able to flow freely. And so the leading priests were in the teachers of the religious law. They saw all these wonderful miracles happening. And they even heard, watch this. They even heard the children in the temple shouting, praise God, son of Davis. So now the little children are getting in on it. They're seeing all these miraculous signs and wonders. They're seeing maybe their grandparents or maybe their parent, maybe someone they knew who was sick or maybe was blind or lame. And they're seeing Jesus miraculously touch each one of these lives. And even the kids get in on it and they say, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were angry. Someone say angry. So we have to be careful. When God wants to do what only he can do, we can get angry. Because we sometimes have our way of doing things, right? We have our way of wanting things. But watch this, verse 16. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Someone say, what are they saying? Jesus replied, haven't you you read the scripture? For they said, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. I want to give you a couple couple things this morning just to help you as as we're talking about palm sunday next week we're gonna have an easter message and i pray you bring some friends and family and we'll see god do what only he can do but this morning i want to help you that's my job as a pastor as a shepherd it's just a, my job is to is to help you become all god's called you to be and from this story of palm sunday where the people are shouting hosanna yeah go jesus welcome to our city come come but jesus said 
I thank you for the welcome. But I have an agenda too. You know, with me, I have a way of doing things too. And so when Jesus, his first priority was to get into the temple. And what did he do? He said, we need to rearrange how this place is supposed to work. And so he cleared out all the things that were going on. And when he did that, think about this. That's when the sick people, the lame people, the people in need could come. And they could be touched by God. You know, and I shared this last week in being salt and light. What the world needs in this hour is you and I to be a prime example of who Jesus is. But not just the example part. He doesn't want to stop there. God wants to partner with you and use you. You with me? He wants to use you. He wants to literally use you to advance his kingdom. But here's the thing. You and I can get in the way of it. Can't we? I don't know about you. I can get in the way of it sometimes, right? I can say, ah, you know, Lord, and, and, and you ever done that before? Like you're, you're praying on something and you pray about it real fast. Lord, I need an answer. And then you try to like get out of it really fast so that way you can like decide your own answer. You with me? Because we're like, I know what I need. I know what I want. And in a way, we get presumptuous. We start saying, well, Lord, I want you to help me, but I want it this way. I want to do it this way. The people, that, think about it. As Jesus coming in, Hosanna, we love you, Jesus. But think about it. A week later, a lot of them would be saying the exact opposite. The same people understanding, yeah, son of David. Many scholars believe maybe more than half or if maybe more than that would be the very ones saying, crucify that man. Why? Because they presumed they knew what they needed. And that's my first point. Number one, what can we learn from Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Number one, the people thought they knew what they needed. You ever been there before? You thought you knew what you need. You thought you knew what you need. I'll give you an example. I remember um, before I got married, I was renting. Um, I was with two other guys, and some of you guys know them, Taylor and John, and we all, you know, we were roommates for a while, and we rented a spot, and um, this house was, a work in progress. We needed a place to live and we needed a place to live fast. And we just, we rented this uh, wonderful place and uh, it needed work. And there was mice running everywhere. I mean, it was just, it, there was a lot of stuff going on with the house, but we're like, you know, we just need a place to, to, to lay our head at night. And if it can, if as long as the roof don't leak and it don't fall on us, we'll be okay. Okay. So we rented this place and problem after problem started coming up. And at one point we would have an electrical problem. I mean, like the stove would like go off randomly and then, like, other outlets would go off. And I'm like, this is just weird. And we'd have to go down and reset the breaker. And, you know, I'm thinking, like, you know, it's something. Or And so I had one of my friends come out. And I said, hey, can you look at this? Because our landlord just wasn't getting out. And I said, we need help with this. I'm like, this breaker is messed up. This breaker is messed up. I'm like, look how bad it is. And I was showing him, like, look, when the stove's running and I plug in this thing, look how everything just goes crazy. And so I'm showing him, like, look, fix the breaker, fix the breaker. And you know what? He came back, and, and he took, a, you know, a little while, maybe a half hour. He's, exam, he's observing everything, and he's trying to figure it all out. Eventually, he comes back, and he says, your stove's bad. I said, no, check the breaker. I said, look, when you turn the stove on, see, because the stove works, and then you plug in the thing, like, see how it all works? And he starts examining. He says, no, the breaker looks good. Everything's intact. Things are tripping the way they're meant to be. He says they're tripping because that means it's a problem. You with me? He said, you're tripping. And, I, you know, I'm not much of a mechanic nor a, um, a person that we bought. When we bought our house, I became more of a handyman because you got to learn to do it yourself. But it was interesting because I was thinking about that this week that I, I knew, like, there was a problem. And so I immediately said, this is the problem. You with me? This is the problem. Come and fix the problem. And he says, you brought me over 
to fix the problem, but I know what the problem is. You need a new stove. We need to get the stove. And I'm like, you know, I'm telling you, look, the stove works. And the reason, and, and long story short, I'm not trying to give you into our inside scoop, but Anyway, he was right. The stove was bad, and we ended up getting a new stove, and it was able to hold up. The stove was going bad, and it was pulling so much electricity into it. For some reason, it got tripped up or whatever, and, and he was completely 100% right. You know what happened? I could have easily said, I knew what the problem is. I'll try to fix it myself, and I probably would have blew myself up in the process. You know what I'm saying? But it's a beautiful thing when we understand God knows what's best for us. God knows what you need. He knows the things ultimately that you don't even know you need. But here's the problem. We can let the seed of presumption get in us. You know what the seed of presumption is? Someone say, what is it? It's we think we know what we need. We think we know what we need. The people that day knew they needed a Savior. But they didn't think they needed a Savior that would die on the cross. They wanted a Savior that would free them. Someone say, free them. And so when Jesus' plan turned out, it started to unravel, the people got a little... Hmm, strange. You know what I'm saying? Like, strange, Jesus. Why are you doing it this way? Like, we need an immediate fix. We are under oppression. We're being killed. Like, like the Romans are trying to make examples out of us if we misbehave. Like, why don't you just free us? And Jesus says, I'm trying to free the world of its sin. You with me? I'm trying to cleanse the world of something worse than what you see on surface level. I'm trying to cleanse the world of sin. And so the people thought they knew what they needed. And here's what the seed. It starts the seed of presumption. When you and I think we know what we need. What did David say? He said, keep back your servant from what? Presumptuous sins. Because David almost knew it was like a seed. If a little seed can get in, I can get in my own way. You, with, you follow me this morning? I want to help you this morning. Because Jesus came to free us from our way of doing things. He came to free, like, think about it. What happens when sin gets into our life? We start to ensnare ourselves. Yes, sin grabs a hold of us and takes us to a deep, dark place. But here's the thing. We become our own obstacle. When I talk to people, I say, hey, aren't you tired of living this way? Or don't you want God to set you free from that? Yes, I do. Yes, please, pastor. And, you know, they're in there. Yes, yes, yes. But here's the thing. It's like, all right, this is what God desires of you. Hold up a second. Whoa, you know what I'm saying? Like, hold up a second. I didn't ask for that. I wanted God to free me. No, you wanted God to do it the way in which you desire. And God's not about that. God says, I have a way. My ways are much higher than your ways. My thoughts are, think about it. God created the heavens, someone say heavens, and the earth. Me and you think sometimes we can outsmart God. Right? Think about it. We think sometimes we can outsmart God. I know exactly how to fix this lord i know exactly how to right that's what the people of israel like the jews god we know how to fix the issue we're in captivity free us (laughs) right we get we get in our way a lot we say pastor i know i know what i got to do and i meet people like that a lot too like i don't need jesus pastor because i know what i got to do oh you you do yeah i know what i got to do i got to do this 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 and this oh it's going to change my whole life is it oh yeah it is i meet him five years later did you do this, this, this? No, pastor, not yet. Because that's going to change your life, right? Yeah, it's going to change my life. It's like, no, it's not. You with me? Christ has the only way to free us. And we look for freedom in a way sometimes where we think, I know what I need. I know what I desire. I know how to fix it. Be careful. Someone say, be careful. Watch out. When you start becoming the own manager of your life, watch out. 
Someone say, watch out. So the, proceed, the seed of presumption is when we start to think, I know what I need. I know what I need. I'm good. I know what, you know what can happen in marriages sometimes? When, when there starts to create friction and the other spouse says, well, I know what I need. I know, you know, the enemy knows how to sneak in and get you to say, think about it. You want, you want, you want, you want to go back? Let's go back to the beginning where the enemy sneaks in. And the, and the enemy you know, shows up like a serpent and, and, and he says to Eve and you know, starts questioning, did God really say that? What's he trying to do? He's trying to say, do you, do you really think God's right in what he asked you to do? Do you really think God is on, on, on point with what he says is best for you? And Eve starts questioning it. Oh, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, because what did it say? It said the fruit looked desirable. So Eve's looking at it and saying, oh, it does look really good. Man, this looks good. Man, I just want to bite a piece of that, right? I don't know if it was apple. Who knows what it was. But just like the desire started to increase, it was like a little seed the enemy planted. Someone say little seed. A little seed. And Eve forgot what God said, that, man, I created this garden that you could flourish and you could live all that I've intended you to live. That's what God's called each one of us to do, right? But then Eve starts to, uh, uh, but, man, this looks good. And then all of a sudden she thought, you know what? I'm good. I'll try it. And she gave some to Adam, and here we are today. <laughs> so you got to be careful when you think you know what you need. I have to be careful. You with me? We have to allow the Lord through the power of the Holy. Did you know God still speaks today? As you read his word, the Holy Spirit will show up in your life. There'll be moments where I'm looking for answers because I need direction and I'm in, in my time with the Lord. And I don't want to, I don't want to presumptuously just assume, all right, God, thanks. I'll take it from here. No, I want to. The Bible says this, be still and know that I am God. Someone say no. You know what that word no is? It's a, it's a deep, and I, I think I've shared this a few weeks ago. It's this deep knowing of God. It's not just knowing about him. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'll give you an example. You ever write, read an autobiography of someone? Okay, a few of you have, a few of you haven't. Grab all the biography of someone you enjoy. You can read about their life, right? You can read about the backstory of their life. You can read it. Well, I was talking to a guy one day. There's a great revivalist that I enjoy reading, and, and, and I love just re reading his story. It inspires me. And he's traveled from, and, and he's long been dead for a long time now. But just the, the way God used him just so inspired me. And there was a guy one afternoon after church, I was youth pastoring, I took him out to lunch. He was the guest speaker at my dad's church. And we were talking for a little bit. And I shared this, 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 um, this story. Hey, um, this guy, Eugene Smith, um, this revivalist, man, what are your thoughts on him? Because he, he loved church history. I'm like, do you know of him? And he said, do I know of him? I said, yeah, have you heard of him? Like, like, and I start telling him stories. And, and he's just sitting there like smiling, being kind. Next thing you know, he starts saying, brother, not only do I know of him, I personally have a, 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 a a journal from him that was handed down for me from my father who knew him. I said, stop that. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop that. Don't. And he said, I'll show you. And he brought it in. And they, here's his, the, his, his writings. And, and I was just blown away. Like, because I knew about him from what I read about him. You with me? And it inspired me. But this guy had a whole new knowing about him that I had no idea. You with me? That's the kind of way God wants with you. 
He wants you not just to know about him through his word. And that's what the people got in the way of themselves because they knew about God. He'll heal people. He'll set people free. Man, he's going he's gonna to just one word wipe out the Romans and we're going to be great. And God said, but see, that's knowing about me. I want you to really know me because when you know me, you'll know my heart. You'll know my ways. You'll, you'll know me. You'll know me. You'll know me. That's what God wants. So here's, here's the danger. When we let the seed of presumption get in and we start getting in the way of ourselves and we presume, oh, God, I'll do it this way and you'll just be with me. And God's like, oh, it doesn't work that way. I have a way of doing things. Here's what happens, number two. And this is all throughout the Bible. God withdrew his presence from his people when they would begin to get in the way of themselves. How dangerous is that? I was sharing earlier in 1 Samuel. Israel was a nation at this point, but they didn't have a king. Someone say, no king. You know why they didn't have a king? Someone say, why? Because God himself was their king. He said, I want to be your king. You don't need someone like other kingdoms to be your king or president. I want to be your king. And so in 1 Samuel, in the early part, Samuel was a prophet before God. His mother, Hannah, said, Lord, if you'll give me a child, I'll, I'll give him back to you. And so she birthed Samuel, and Samuel was given back to God. He became a priest and would minister before the Lord. Well, Samuel became like the Lord's hand was very strong on Samuel. And God used Samuel in mighty ways. And Samuel was actually the very prophet that anointed David to be the next king of Israel, okay? So Samuel is growing in stature and reputation, becoming a priest of the Lord. And one day Israel decides that they were going to venture out. There was the Philistines. Someone say the Philistines. They were an opposing army, and they said, we're going to venture out, and we're going to just take them out. Here's the thing. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask God, what do you think of it? God, what would you have us? You know what they did? We're a strong nation. We are a powerful nation. So here's what happened. The first day they went out to battle, and the Bible says within you know, a short amount of time, they began to get killed, like slaughtered, and they all started to retreat. They came back to the tent that night and said, What's wrong with us? Are we not strong enough? Are we not more powerful than this army? What's wrong with us? And you know what? One guy spoke up and said, it's because we don't have the ark of the Lord, the presence of God. So one guy said, bring it into the tent. Bring it into the camp. So they got the ark of the covenant, which in the Old Testament represented, someone say, the presence of God. And they brought the ark of the covenant into the presence of God, into the camp. And, and the Bible said this. This is, read the Bible with fresh eyes, I pray. They said, the, the people of Israel shouted so loud, the ground began to shake. They were so excited. The presence of God is here. The next day they went out to battle. Guess what happened? Someone say, what happened? Over 100,000 Israelites died, and the presence, the ark, got captured. Someone say, why? Because they were presuming, well, if we grab this thing, the Lord has to act on our behalf. You with me? He has to do it. God, we want to take out this, this nation. This, these Philistines, they're, they're a pain to us. They, 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 they try to, to make us their people and slaves to them. No, 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 no. We're going to take. But God also says, but I have a way of doing things too. And so the Ark of the Covenant got captured. And it's a wild story if you read it. They put it in the temple of Dagon. Anyone remember the story? Anyone read it before? Here's what happened. They put it in the temple of their foreign god. Here's, here's what's crazy. The next morning they came in, their, their god Dagon was falling down flat before the presence of God. And they were like, huh, that's weird. They sat him back up. The next day, Dagon fell down again, and his head broke off, his arms broke off. You know what I'm saying? Like God's trying to show, I'm more powerful than this stone object you got sitting here. And next thing you know, boils started to break out through the whole land of the Philistines. 
And they said, good Lord, this, this Ark of the Covenant's no joke. They're like, get it out of here. Here's, here's what's funny. They gave the Ark of the Covenant to the next city over. They like passed it on. And the city said, cool, we'll take it. They started getting plagues. And they said, we don't want it. Take it back. Like it's a crazy story. But I share this to say this. We get into a lot of trouble when we presume things and say, I know what I need. Because here's what happens. You become God of your life. And here's what God says. Okay. Cool. Try it. Give it a try. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes you and I, we try to be God. Think about it. Do you think you and I could really run this universe? Oh, yeah, pastor. I could do it for a day. Could you? Like we watch movies of, right? Like, like you remember the movie? I don't even know what it's called now, but it was like this guy who got all these, you know, almost like God powers for, for a day or something like that. And it's like sometimes we think we could be God when we wouldn't make it for a millisecond. We'd be like, holy, how do you do it, God? <laughs> you know, God had that same conversation with Job. He said, Job, where were you when I breathed? And he starts talking about these star formations in the, in the galaxies. He starts talking about the greatest sea creature in the ocean. He said, Job, where were you? And Job's like, you're right, Lord. I'm nothing. I'm just a wee little guy down here. We have to be careful. The one thing that people missed that day was the Savior was riding on a donkey, and they were giving praise. But here's the thing. In their hearts, they thought they knew how he was going to fix the problem. And a week later, and next week, I hope you come. A lot of them were sorely disappointed because they said, we thought you were. You know what some of them said when Jesus was hanging on the cross? The Bible makes it clear in one of the Gospels. Some of them shouted, we thought you were the son of God. They would spit and mock him. Some of the soldiers even put, you know, this, the vinegar and all this stuff. To, it was just this mockery because they said, we thought you were the son. And they even put, um, they even put king of the Jews above his head. Most scholars think they put it in three different languages because there were so many different people surrounding the cross because they really thought, hey, he's the son of God. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna come down off that cross. He's going to fix. Watch, just watch. And they're all hanging on. And the Bible says he breathed his last and he died. Why? Because there was greater victory in what Jesus was about to accomplish. But sometimes you and I don't see it that way because we feel like I know what I need. When Jesus says, I know what you need. You with me? I pray we get a whole new vision of the cross this Easter season. I pray we get a whole new revelation. I pray we don't get caught in the way like these people where they're outwardly, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then they're saying, but we want it our way, Lord. Lord, would you help us this morning? Amen. I want to go into this Easter season with fresh eyes. A fresh heart. Lord, if there's things in my heart I've been calloused, if there's ways, Lord, that I'm trying to do things, Lord, help me become a godly man, a husband, a father that does not act presumptuously. Because David said, when I start acting presumptuously, it becomes sin. Why? Because I'm doing things away from God's plan and purpose. God wants to help you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning?